um, my heart is full. It's just full of um, some things that I just believe the Lord wants to, to speak out. And um, my notes are hilarious. They're about as bad as they could be, which must be a good news this morning. Because uh, things aren't always concise in the flow of the Spirit. I want you to look at John 8, verse 32, please. Turn if you would. You know, if we are not intentional in our focus, we will find that it can literally affect the freedom that we walk in in Christ. We know that John 8, verse 32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But what is the truth? The truth is not just principles and a concept. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we know also from the Gospel of John that if the truth will make you free, you will be free indeed, right? So this idea of focused freedom, the Lord just kind of gave me was not a, not a title of striving, but an idea that where we focus is the key to bringing the freedom. See, Satan is definitely after our faith. He, he wants our faith. So he wants to disrupt and, and pull our focus away from where it needs to be so that he has a better shot at robbing our faith and with that, he can steal our freedom. Because freedom, true freedom, is found in Jesus. In Jesus. We know about the courts. We know that, that when we come and surrender everything to the Lord in confession of sin, we then have the right, being cleansed from all unrighteousness, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we're then cleansed and in right standing with God, we have rights by Jesus to cast with all authority, Luke 10, 19, to, to, to trample and tread on snakes and scorpions. We've been given that authority. And so we can cast it away from us, which gives us freedom. We have freedom in Christ. But we have the opportunity each day to continue to walk in him with our free will. And so sometimes when we let our guard down of our focus, not that we do things in and of ourselves, but when we allow our focus to be distracted, when we don't stay in that pure place of fellowship, of communication with the Lord, then what happens is the suggestion, the imaginations that 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about, okay, we're, we have the power in Jesus to cast down imaginations. And the high things, and every high thing, look at it, look at it with me, 2 Corinthians 10, because it's a really important scripture. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, uh, which is a, a verse I encourage you to memorize, have a, a powerful, healthy, holy, reverent relationship with the word, with the written word. Because it will, when it is hid in your heart, as Psalm 119 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It, it counsels you. The word that we plant, the word that we allow God to plant in our hearts, it will counsel us in life to, uh-uh, don't do that or stay away from that. Through the Holy Spirit, through the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, but if it's not, if we don't have a strong relationship with the written word, then the voice that we hear that something we may think is the Holy Spirit may be another voice because we're not able to confirm it through the written word. But 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing, the high things. Now, I'm in the King James. I, I memorize that. You guys know that. I've said that a million times. Um, but there's other fantastic translations on this. Um, 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, what Satan tries to do with our focus is he tries to introduce thoughts that sound high and lofty, sound godly. He presents himself as an angel of light. And so when these suggestions are not discerned by our closeness to the Holy Spirit, or by our closeness to God, knowing his voice, knowing who he is, we won't discern that that is a high thought that's trying to come against the knowledge of God, which is the highest. And we don't then cast it down because we, we don't discern. Well, when we discern it, we cast down. We cast it away. We say, no, 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 that is not, that's not you. We were talking downstairs in the ladies' class today about being, being Bereans, going before the Lord. See, if you don't have that personal relationship with who God is and his voice, you will tend to be confused with high-sounding principles and creeds spoken by pastors and teachers that can really draw you in by charisma, by their delivery, by lots of different things. If you don't have a way to go and say, okay, I'm going to take this word, even though, even on its face they may be speaking truth, but maybe how it's applied will be confusing to you. Because maybe it's applied in one way and, and the Holy Spirit wants to apply it in your life differently because of where you are in the season of your life. He's not going to confirm a word about moving to Nigeria unless he's calling you to Nigeria. So that's why sometimes... Uh, we have to make sure we go back and, and we hear um, and know what God is saying because of our relationship with God alone. I want to um, I want us to flip over a few pages, if you would, from um, or, or swipe a few pages if you're on an electronic device in um, the Book of John. If you if you were back in in Chapter uh, Eight, just go a few pages to John 15 because the Gospel of John is really the main place where I want to be, and um, it's kind of um, hopefully this will. My heart on, on this will come out. Before I get into even the scripture there, um, the Lord, some time ago, Bryn had sent me a, uh, a YouTube message from many, many years back about the revival on the Isle of Lewis. And I really encourage you to go to that YouTube um, a revival on the Isle of Lewis is what it's called. And, um, oh man, it was, there's been great revivals, but I just was kind of soaking with the Lord last night and looking at this idea of revival and the following of the Holy Spirit and what we're expecting here. And, you know, revival gets a little bit twisted in its definition. Revival, true revival is not something that, that man starts and people kind of catch wind of it. And, and it becomes this, this movement of man that just kind of spreads as something really great that people do. True revival is a movement purely of the Holy Spirit that is released from the kingdom realm of God to us. And it has its own power, agenda, flow. It is an amazing, amazing thing. I have only had my own experiences of when the presence of God has come on me, and at times uh, the weight of his presence, um, it, it's, it's literally crushing to, to our, human, our human existence, our human body. And I've never had the weight of the presence of God press me to the floor before. Some of you maybe had that experience. It's, it's terrifying and beautiful. And it, it takes you to a place of, of recognizing the frailty of our humanity and the greatness of God that is so amazing. And this release of his spirit that, oh, that song, uh, what is the name of that the worship song that starts with the woe that you did? Anthem, first? Song. Anthem. Anthem song. The words. If you can pull those up, Anissa. Those words that start with it's time. Uh, it reminded me of what the Lord spoke, uh, the Father spoke last week. And I'll tell you, this is what we are on the precipice of. In fact, technically, it's already in motion. It's time for dry bones waking. 
What does this mean? It's like the, the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel. The, the dryness, the deadness of the bride is about to awaken with flesh back on its bones, walking with life and vitality, and, and unrecognizably so. The, this line in the sand is going to awaken or forever cut off, in some cases, people that reject Jesus. And it's a, it's a very holy time. It's a scary, terrifying time only for those that will reject the Lord. And this, it's time for mountains shaking. Um, I was just reading in, in Hosea, um, or no, Habakkuk. No, Haggai. <laughs> Sorry, i got to find my book. Haggai, uh, about the shaking that I declared on the, on the prayer call the other night. The declaration, it's time to change the nations. Your bride awoken. You have spoken. It's time. These are powerful, powerful words. And it was just beautiful to hear that declared in our worship time this morning because that, that is what God is doing. He is doing, there is a move that is beginning. And in his mercy, he is allowing us a moment. And I'm telling you, it's just a moment to consecrate ourselves, to prepare ourselves for what God has. And, and the other thing about revival that, um, that this man was sharing on this, um, this experience he was asked to be the, the preacher there for three years. He was asked to go to this area, this island, for, two, for 10 days, and the Lord kept him there for three years. He said there was, there, it was not explainable. He, he kept saying to the crowd, don't ask me how to explain to you why people would go from a dance hall and suddenly the power of God would, would descend upon that place and they would just flee from that place like the, like the plague was there and they'd make their way to the church. There was this drawing, supernatural drawing of the Holy Spirit to, to gather and to want to be with people who pray, to want to be with people who worship that they couldn't even explain. They were so drawn by the power of God resting upon that, that area. It was, people would, would be in the middle of, of their work day and just fall to their knees and just just be so aware. It's, it's the, it was an awareness of God in his fullness, in his essence, in his holiness that came upon the people that made them cry out. Because, see, our creator, Elohim, our creator, he created us with a void, with a, an empty space that only he can fill. And when you, when you get rid of all the other obstructions, all the other impediments that get in the way, all the things of this life that entangle us, and just begin to fix your eyes on him alone, you begin to see that the, it's just the perfect puzzle piece, the perfect fulfillment, the, the, the thirst to be quenched, the, the hunger to be filled. As Jesus said, blessed are those who do hunger for righteousness and thirst for righteousness, for they're going to be filled. Filled with what? Filled with God, with who he is. It is an amazing thing. And all the things that we have concerns for, the cares of this life. You know, we, we started this ministry. The Lord gave us Matthew 6.33 as the mantra verse. But see, unless that, unless you let that by faith really sink in to what that truly is saying, you, you won't really get it because it, it has a layered, deep meaning. It, it continues to speak into my life in every single thing I do. In fact, now my prayer is like, Lord, help me to navigate this human realm while not being here in the way that the world is here. Because I have now, through the Holy Spirit, when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is at hand. Why? Because he's released his spirit to where I can walk in the spirit now. I can walk in the kingdom realm. So then how do I navigate here on this earth? How do I, how do I live and move and have my being in this realm, but yet in him? That's the soaking awareness of God. That's what this revival uh, that he was describing is about, is this. He said, when, when the power of God came upon people, life, life as they knew it, just stopped. It, it stopped. The work stopped. Companies stopped functioning. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that things just stood still because everyone was in the presence of God? Everyone was crying out for their creator. It was an amazing thing. And, and I, 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 that's happened in other revivals. I believe it'll happen now. 
God is, when you allow God to literally be in the driver's seat of your life, then every single thing that is done, your job, the choice that you, uh, I mean, the simplest things, the, the showering, the, um, you know, the, the clothing that you pick, the interaction with people, when God is first and foremost and, and his, his spirit is just breathing on you, Jesus knows, Jesus came like as we are in, in humankind. He inserted himself into mankind to understand what this human realm is like. And so we have that as an example. But everything Jesus did, he was a carpenter. He had a job. But he was there to do the will of the Father. And somehow he managed both. He interacted with people that didn't believe. He knew how to love. He knew how to respond to people who flat out rejected him, who wanted to kill him, who hated him. He somehow knew how to do that. How? Because he was there, not of his own will, but of the will of the Father. Oh, to be taken over, to allow God to take over and invade your life to that degree, only comes in that relationship. It cannot come by learning the principles of God apart from the Spirit of God. There are amazing, amazing principles. But these principles are often taken by the enemy and twisted. What happened with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness? Satan used the very word of God, the written word of God, to tempt Jesus. Man, he's stupid. To tempt you, I mean, can you, really? Like, really? I see him using that on any other high prophet or Christian, but the Jesus, you're going to use his own word, the words of his father against him? Jump off, jump off. The angels will bear you up in their hands. Jesus is like, you know, good try. Not going to happen. I know my father. I know. So I love, I love the Second Timothy 2.16. For I know, I know whom. I know the person I've believed. And I am fully, because I know him, I'm fully persuaded that he is able to keep that, my life, what I believe, he's able to keep that, which I've committed to him, against the day. The full day, the full time of my life here on earth. I am so persuaded because I know him. Not just because I know his word and I know about him. There are so many people this morning learning about the word of God, about God. And that is great. We need to know the word. We need to have the word in our heart that we might not sin against. The word of God will counsel. But if it's learned apart from the spirit of God, apart from the vine, which we're going to look at in John 15, then it ends up getting twisted and distorted and messed up. Look at John 15. It's just this, These are awesome, awesome verses. And by the way, the word will take on a new radical excitement. When you let the Spirit of God just rest on the pages of your Bible, I say pages, old school, I really love the paper feel, and the, the sound of turning pages, although you can get that uh, added to your app, I think, too. You can get the sound of turning. Can you do that? Yeah, cool. Oh, people, technology people. Um, but... When you let the Spirit of God just, like, when, when I look at the Word and I'm like, Holy Spirit, just speak to me. Any verse ha has this, it's like this glow, this power, this depth. I mean, I'm just looking at the Psalms yesterday and I'm just like, I'm just, wow. You know, like, how do people read through the Bible in a year? I don't know how. Because I, I just, sometimes I'm just fixed on a verse. That's so simple and yet so powerful. Every word, every jot and tittle is so, so, so powerful, so amazing. When you start really getting thrilled with the genealogies, you really, really, that sometimes is a hard one to, to process, but it's exciting. So John 15, oh man, verse 5, I am the vine, oh I'm still in the King James, but I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I love verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you, shall, you can ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Now, I um, I brought a different, is it up here? Yes, it is. I brought a different translation, and I know it would be faster to just change it from my iPad, but old school here. In the Amplified, I want to read verse 4 again. Dwell in me, 
and I will dwell in you. Live in me, and I will live in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in, vitally united to the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much abundant fruit. However, apart from me, cut off from that vital union with me, you can do nothing. If a person does not dwell in me, he is thrown out like a broken off branch and withers. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire. I love the cut off, however, apart from me, cut off from vital union with me. Abiding is a place of daily, daily surrender and fellowship. I was explaining to the ladies downstairs, and this is the part that I said I'd repeat. Getting up and having free will every single day to choose God, sometimes to believers sounds like, um, well, you're making it sound like I just wouldn't choose God today. It, it is not that overt and obvious. It's not a, I believe in God today, I don't believe in God today. But we actually do still have free will to choose him every day. That is why, even with the takeover of the power of God in your life, he continues to give us free will. He'll never usurp our, our free will, which is why by faith, we walk by faith, surrendering our lives, dying daily, crucifying our flesh, just like Paul says, daily. It is not as clear as just choosing him and not choosing him at all, but it can be that we choose our focus in a multitasking way that we get deceived is actually sometimes not choosing him. You know, this world, there are very strong um, cultural messaging, cultural norms, cultural um, uh, ways that people are, are praised or uh, lifted up as really wow. Like, and, and one of the areas that that, that is true in, human, in humanity is uh, multitasking. You know, people that can really do a lot of things at once. They can juggle several ministries. They can handle several things. That's seen as something amazing and awesome. And it doesn't mean that God won't call you to do several different things. He may call a mother who is a wife and a mother, he may call her to a couple of different ministries, and then he will equip her for all those different things. But whenever we multitask in our flesh and find that, oh, hey, look at this, I can juggle many things, apart from the Lord, that can become a multi-focus. And then what happens is if you are multi-focused, you're not single-eyed. We have to be really, really careful. It can be very dangerous to feel proud of the fact that we are multitaskers um, because multitasking often can take our focus, and you do not want to be multi-focused. You want to be single-focused for God and allow Him to equip you and tell you what to do. He has to be forefront in our in our minds all the time. One of the easiest ways to keep Him in our minds all the time is to just begin to learn His voice. He will remind you in everything that you do. He will be right there. When you walk in a in a in sync with his heart, he will squeeze your heart because your heart is connected with his heart. And whenever there's a, a beat of his heart that's skipped, you'll feel it in your heart that quickly, that soon. You cannot get that far off track when you allow, when you keep the sensitivity of your heart in sync with his. One example that I had, um, much to my regret was um, running into a store. Oftentimes, I've gone into stores and I've, you know, prayed for people and, and you know, whatever the Lord tells me to do. And I went in with distraction. Um, I noticed my blood sugar was dropping. I'm with my youngest daughter and we're getting a task done. I was task-focused rather than knowing the task at hand and being Christ-focused, which is the way you're supposed to do your tasks. And um, so we got busy, and then the store didn't have something they should have had. It was simple, and nobody, have you ever been to a store where nobody knows, nobody seems to know anything? It's like, is this everybody's first day? You know, have you, have you gone through the training? It's a simple product, you know, can you look it up in the computer? So we were trying to find some things, 
And, uh, and they just didn't find it, and that was okay. So as we were leaving one of the aisles, I happened to see this man that um, was in a wheelchair, and what caught my eye and, and hit my heart was that in the basket of the motorized um, wheelchair that he had was, um, was a box of depends, okay, adult underwear. And my heart immediately was squeezed because I thought his disability, you know, has created situations that are a struggle and embarrassing on levels that we often don't think about. But that reminded me of the just the sensitivity I really felt for, for his, his issue. So I kept going. All this is happening in seconds, just in seconds. And I, I went on. And as I went, I, I noticed right away the squeeze in my heart. The squeeze in my heart. And it was one of those things, as soon as I felt the squeeze, I, I in my tiredness, I, could, I almost could begin to hear the voices battling with one another. You know, it was like the Holy Spirit's voice softly. And he often will not yell because he expects that we're already so in tune with him. Why should he yell? That should be the loudest voice in our head. If our focus is with him, it should be the loudest voice. So I'm hearing this soft voice say, you should pray for him. You should pray for him. And then I'm hearing the loud voices go, oh, you are so tired. And, oh, isn't that sad? And, oh, look at that. And come on, come on, come on, let's go. All the other voices and the, if you're too tired, and it doesn't God forgive? Isn't he good? He has mercy on you. He knows how tired you are. And I'm walking. All of a sudden, I found my body walking faster and faster and faster, and I was out of the store. And when I got to the car, I just, I just right away said out loud, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I, I just, and the rest of the day, Sometimes I, it was weird because by that time, I then was soaking in feeling bad about it because oftentimes when I remember later, the Lord will say, go back in. But by that time, I drowned out his voice with a, I'm so sorry, and didn't even turn back around, okay? So it was just like a weird, and so the rest of that day, the Lord was trying to teach me, the squeeze in your heart is going to grow and it's going to get more miserable. It's just a whole lot easier. To just stop for a moment and pray, no matter how uncomfortable you are, no matter whether he'll receive it or not. I promise you, I will make that less uncomfortable or even comfortable compared to the squeeze that you're going to feel and the regret that you'll be tempted to feel for days and days. Yes, I forgive you. I love you, my child. But you got to hear my voice and step when I ask you to step. And it will be at inconvenient times because it's my way of tapping you and getting your attention that I am in everything. I am in everything. I want to show you a verse that just hit me this morning um, in Ephesians. If you just don't mind going over to Ephesians and let me just get you the, the reference because I was going through the whole book so I kind of I think it was Ephesians 2. The end of the end of Ephesians 2. No. For the one, the first chapter. Um, the church and his body. Okay, so it, it's saying in verse 22, Ephesians 1, verse 22. This is in the New Living that, that I happen to be, when I listen to an audible Bible, I listen to the, um, I listen. I always listen to it in the New Living instead of King James. When I'm reading it, I like to read King James and memorize King James, but for some reason, the audible voice for the King James sounds too much like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> so I just don't... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I'm not even going to imitate it. It's just hilarious. Um, but it says here, And God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and he gave him this authority for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is filled by Christ, who fills everything, everywhere, with his presence. Everything, everywhere, he fills with his presence. So wherever we step, when he is your best friend and he's with you and he's included in everything, he is everywhere in everything for your benefit. And when you are receiving the fullness of God, there is nothing you do. It isn't that I have my faith, I have my God, now it's time to go to work. I have this over here, but now I'm going to do this. He's in everything. He's a part of everything. So 
every other choice, every other um, thought, whether it's a vocation, whether it's schooling, whether it's a relationship, whether it's how you choose to take the edge off. By the way, nothing will be a stronger barometer of where, measuring, measurement, of where you are with the Lord than the means by which you choose to comfort yourself. How do you comfort yourself? How do you self-soothe? What do you do to take the edge off? Is it something that's apart from the vine, that's apart from Christ? Is it something that would even quench and squeeze the Holy Spirit? Is it a binge-watching show? You know, the Lord is not against watching television. Have you ever invited him, though, to watch it with you? He finds programs very funny. He's got a great sense of humor. He delights in our relaxation. But for him to be in everything, everywhere, we've got to be in tune. Sometimes we, we adopt these philosophies that, that in order to be this, this soaking, awesome, walking in sync with God Christian, that, that does not include any fun. It only includes laughter if it happens to be in church. You know, if you're laughing about something outside, I got to tell you, there are a lot of things that are funny that the Lord and I laugh about together, and most of it's at me, but <laughs> I just, it's just very, very cool to share a humorous moment with the Lord. Um, he, he just, where do you think people get their sense of humor? I mean, our creator, he created us in his own image. A sense of humor didn't come from some other abstract power source. God delights. He wants the joy. He wants us be, to be filled with the fullness of joy. It says in Ephesians 2, and um, actually in 3. But anyway, um, but this, uh, this idea of how, how we comfort ourselves, if you are feeling a spiritual conflict going on in your life and you somehow need to get away from all that so that you can take the edge off and the stress, that, and, and somehow your answer is, all this stuff that's going on with the pull and tug in your Christian life, and now what you want to do is just take a break from all of it and go over here. Something is wrong with that equation. Where to go to God? See, his love constrains us. It doesn't condemn us away from him. His love constrains us toward him. His love draws us in. He knows us. He knows us. Psalm 139 says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, Behold, thou art there. Some of us feel like we're going through literal depths of hell in some of our struggles, some of our family members, some of our hurts. Whatever we go through, whether it's a trial or it's the hell of our sin, he is still there. He is still there, and his love draws us to him. It's so awesome. It's so beautiful. So, so, so beautiful. God wants us focused on him so that our freedom is true and our faith is intact. When our focus is on him, by the way, there's nothing that will strengthen your faith more than focusing on him. Because see, what we focus on is what is magnified. It is, it becomes the biggest thing. Whatever you focus on, you want to make your problems bigger, by all means, focus on them. They will grow before your very eyes. You want to make a hurt bigger, focus on it. Let it replay. Don't cast down those imaginations to replay a hurt. Oh, man, if there's one thing we need to cast down, it's the high knowledge of you should feel bad a little longer. In fact, why don't you have a pity time, and we'll call it a party. You know, the world calls that a pity party. It's, Satan loves our wallowing in the things that try to come against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? that we're overcomers, that we're victors, that we walk in love, joy, and peace as a fruit of his spirit. He doesn't want us walking in the truth that sets us free. He wants us wallowing and wallowing and circling around and letting it play one more time. Wow, apart from him, I cannot get rid of my hurts. Apart from him, I have no freedom from the pain of my hurts, especially when those fiery darts keep coming. So what do I have to do? I have to put on the whole armor of God. That I might be able to stand, Ephesians 6, against the wiles of the devil. That's all I got. But it's everything. It's everything. Because we just sang about it. He is our defender. He goes before us in our life. See, he's not bound by the time that we're in. We are so bound by time. 
And that's why uh, Matthew 6, before we get to the last verse, the, the last verses that tell us to seek him first and he'll add everything. He says, don't take any thought for your life, what you're going to eat and drink and, and, and for tomorrow. You can't control any of that. I already live in the future. I know what's going to happen. Sometimes I will prophetically release to you part of your future to show you the good plans that I have for you. Plans to, to uh, not to harm you, but to prosper you. And I'm going to give you a glimpse of that prophetic word so that you'll stay on the path, so that you'll trust me, so that you'll end up in the place that I'm showing you a glimpse of. He gives us these, these moments. He doesn't show us the whole path because our flesh is constantly grasping at control. He shows us just a glimpse and he says, okay, you want to get there? That's my path for you. But it's only found in me. It is only found as you are abiding and abiding and abiding. You stop abiding, you're going to be thrown away like a branch. You've got to step in me. Some of us have had prophetic words over our lives and glimpses of what God wants to do in using us, where he wants to call us, that in and of themselves are unrecognizable to where we are now. And we both get excited and terrified. Whew, okay. Well, that's, that's awesome, Lord. Uh, uh, okay, well, therein lies the faith. How much every day, then, are we going to allow him to take over? How much space are we going to make for him to completely invade and transform us into his image, which is what we want? The hard part is dying to our flesh. We all love, we all love prophetic words. We love seeing, we love getting a glimpse of it. People are so desperate for it that they'll make huge mistakes like Saul. Desperate to get an answer. Desperate for control. The Lord didn't want to give him the answer. He wanted Saul to trust him. But Saul had to have the answer, so he went to the witch of Endor. I can't get it from you, God. I'm going to get it from some kind of supernatural source because i got to have it. i got to have it now. i got to have some sensibility of my life. I need, I need this answer. And he made a mistake. We've got to be careful. Is God bigger than the prophetic place he's shown you that he wants to take you? Sometimes we get excited about the calling. And now, all of a sudden, our pursuit is the calling rather than the God that set the calling before us. See, there's so many ways our focus gets off track, and they're not overtly bad. Oftentimes, Satan will introduce the high-sounding thing that is actually part of ministry, part of churches. How do you think churches get off track? It's not because Satan's whispering in them, you ought to start taking crack. You know, you ought to start doing it. I mean, pastors of churches, that's not going to be their thing. He can't, they can't be swayed by that. But they can be swayed by, look at these hurting people. You should start this ministry over here. And so-and-so is there, and they keep bugging you, and you could use them, and why don't you just shut him up and, and let this ministry start? And he doesn't pray about it, doesn't ask the Lord about it, doesn't lay out his plans before the Lord like Hezekiah. And little did he know that in some cases that was a plant sent by the enemy to gain authority in that church, in a leadership role, in a ministry, to begin to take the church in a completely wrong direction. Because of little tiny discernment, those high things that come against the knowledge of God. You know, when we walk in true freedom, we are walking in a place of focus, fixed on the Lord. Not just focus on, and I, I, when I say focus and I look upward and I point upward, it's not to the God that lives up there. Yes, God is there, but it's, it's the holiness of looking our eyes upward off this earth. He is right with us. He is beside us. He walks beside us. We've learned the verse... In Psalms, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be moved. And freedom is in that place of not being moved, not being tossed by the, the waves of the sea. There's a beautiful Red Rock song, uh, worship song. It's um, called, I Will Trust in Thee. I love it. In the middle of the song, it says, so bring on the waves. I'm held by the God who anchors me, I think is the words. I just love it. I've listened to it over and over and over again. I'm just, it's just a captivating song, both lyrically and musically. But I love it because the, the confidence and the boldness in who God is and that he's right there and the, the awesomeness of his power is like, bring on the waves, bring on the waves. That is where he wants us to be. And I know right now this release of his spirit 
is to fall on a church that will become established in a greater measure to, to be a, a launching pad for where he's calling us because he wants, he wants the ignition leadership, the, the remnant of his bride, not just in ignition, but in the bride. He wants his spirit to fall, to be able to establish those lives that have been sanctified, consecrated for him, so that then with that fire, the gift of the fire that he gave us Tuesday night, to just then go out and ignite everyone everywhere that we are. But he has got to be the most important thing. What you eat, what you drink, what you put on has to be secondary. And whenever it's not secondary, it's like you saying to God, I know that you're the great provider. I know that you're the, you're the fulfiller. I know that you do all these things. I'm just not sure you're going to do it for me. Essentially, that is what you're saying. And those are the choices that we get to still make every day. We get to choose every day if our flesh will be the focus, if this place we're stepping, that there is no ground. There is no ground. And i got to tell you, where God's calling ignition, there is no ground. There is no grid. There is nothing that makes sense to any of our humanity. There is only the person of Jesus Christ. If he, that is the line that's being drawn. If he is not everything, you will be so battered by the waves tossing you back and forth. It will throw you around like nobody's business. You will not be moved if you set the Lord always before you, always, every single day. Focus on him. Fix your eyes on him. Don't get up every day seeking how to fix your life, seeking how to fix your family, fix your problems, fix the things that you cannot fix. It does not mean you don't, you slacken stewardship. It just means don't figure it out on your own. Ask God, what do I do? The difference between striving and stewarding is, Lord, tell me what to do. Speak, Lord, for your servant here. Come, tell me what to do. And however difficult the task, however easy the task, I am yours. I will do what you say. And when you, when you learn his voice, and, and I want to encourage you with, with his voice, um, be careful, don't put limits on how God speaks. Because um, if there, I, I think it's pretty evident, as I jokingly said many times, I'm kind of an indoor girl. I'm not one of these nature walkers, um, you know, that loves to just be out in the, uh, in the elements of everything that can bite me, okay? And that's not my thing. But I'll tell you, when creation cries out and speaks to me, that's when I know God's voice is increasing in my life. When I see the beauty of creation in the very thing that still makes me uncomfortable but does not terrify me like it used to, which is a wasp, um, I'm amazed at the intricacy of how God designs creation. Have you ever just looked at a blade of grass? Um, when I was Yvonne's age and played outside a lot, and, and she just reminds me too much of myself, and there was a definitely a a tomboy stage of, of my life that I was very um, just on the ground and I, I think it's healthy and great to, for kids to do mud pies and do things that, that get them all dirty and, and icky and it's just fun, it's good. Probably builds up their immune system too. But I remember looking at the blade of, of blades of grass and, uh, and I was that memory came to me because of watching her childhood. And I mean, it, it's, it's really intricate. Have you ever just thought about, I mean, God... For him to go to that length to create such something so amazing, that speaks to us. That's not separate from us. That's not just another characteristic about God that's kind of high and lofty and separate from us. All of that, all things, 1 Corinthians 4, all things are for your sakes. Everything we get to experience, the brightness of the moon is just, it's like the glory of God just shines out of the brightness of the moon. And I... I'm just, when I say thank you, I, and I love it when I hear Beth pray about some of these little things, thank you for pillows and blankets, and, you know, like, let's not let have that be lost on us. I'm thankful every time I enjoy any comfort. That's a beautiful thing. And you can enjoy comforts outside of human comforts. God has a way of just, just pulling you into his, his bosom and, and, and holding you in his arms. 
in the most beautiful way. And I, I got to see that in Nigeria. But the thing that I was looking forward to the least was the drive between the, um, Abuja Airport and McCurdy. The, the driving, which I guess there are some laws, but <laughs> they're all secondary in everybody's minds. It's just who can get there first alive is kind of the goal. And, um, and so, and Greg was driving, which I didn't really think much of, but I trust his driving because I was with him. The Lord allowed that drive, which would normally just be so treacherous and so nervous for me, and I shared this before, but I, there was such a peace that came over me. And it was such an absurd, the, the timing of his peace was so absurd that I just, I just, I just laughed. I said, Lord, this is you. Only you could give me such peace at this particular moment in the back seat of a hot car speeding, I don't know how fast, in a, in a foreign country. Like, God is awesome. He is awesome. And when he is focused on, you get to learn more and more and more about how awesome he is. You get to learn the strength of what he will overcome in your life. Every one of us are facing something today. We're facing some kind of battle, some kind of struggle. And man, God wants warriors. He wants warriors. And I'm going to take you to one last scripture. I want you to go to a familiar place. And I'm kind of just letting the Lord tell me because guess what? It has nothing, it's not on my notes at all. But I'm going to take you here because the Lord is saying to go here. Let's go to um, first. I hope I get the thing right. I'll find it here. I think it's... Second Samuel, first Samuel. David and Goliath, you guys will know, you'll know the reference. Is it second? Nope, it's first. First Samuel. Oh, guys, gotta know your references here. Okay. So um where is David and Goliath? It is Thank you, thank you, thank you. I knew, it was, I knew I was close. It was one page over. Okay. 1 Samuel 17. Okay. So, he, so David is coming in, um, into the area where he meets with his brothers, and he sees Goliath threatening, mocking, and all the Philistines. And um, he comes and says that, you know, he wants to fight him, and his brothers mock him and just say, you know, this is a joke. Go home. Go back where you came from. And um, let me start. Let's start in verse 30. So he says, and I'm, I'll do it in the New Living here. He walked over to some others and asked him the same thing and received the same answer. When David's question was reported to the king, Saul, he sent for him. Okay. And um, so then the king gets to talk to to David, uh, and he says, uh, David says, don't worry about a thing, David told Saul, I'll go fight this Philistine. And then, of course, Saul answers again, agreeing with the ridiculousness. He said, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can go against this Philistine. You are only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was just a boy, which is a little bit hilarious, because if he's allowed to start as a boy, why can't David start as a boy? So that's, you know, that's kind of selective thinking right there. But David persisted, verse 34, I have been taking care of my father's sheep, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Just, just so you know, he's saying. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it. To this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Now here is the key verse that I want to point out. In verse 37. The Lord who delivered me or saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. In the King James I'm going to read this again. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And I'll tell you what, it was that confidence and that boldness when Saul said, okay, go ahead and do it. And then, of course, Saul began to introduce his armor to him, which didn't work. I love that verse because what that is saying, the boldness 
and the confidence that David was willing to step in an unknown territory of battle was because he knew his God and what God, the God that he trusted and walked in every day as a shepherd. He knew the battles that God had already won in his own life. And when you're walking closely with God, when you're allowing him to take over everything, every part of you, it will give you such courage to take the next steps. See, if God has not been, if you've not allowed God to deliver you from some of your personal deepest struggles, I'm talking things that you maybe have battled for a long time, habits, patterns of thinking, worrying, things that only you know, and in private, you've held them from God. You've not allowed God to deliver you from, from the, the jaws of Satan coming against you in that way, then yeah, I get where you'd be a little bit hesitant. But you know what will give you boldness? And I was just saying this to Greg the other day. God has fundamentally, only because I asked for it and he crushed me and I said, okay, yes, I will let you take this over. He has fundamentally changed and delivered certain struggles that I've had even throughout ministry for so many years. And five years ago when we started Ignition, and I finally allowed an additional level of my heart to be opened up to him. He took a problem. He took a paradigm that was so, something that I kind of just said, and Hannah even said it downstairs, that, that I had told myself, I guess this is just who I am. This is going to be my struggle. This is whatever. When I gave that to God, and I allowed him to transform and take that lion, the young lion and the adder, Okay, shalt thou trample under feet, Psalm 91 says. I allowed myself to go deeper into the secret place so that I, I would access the power of God to even get rid of the young lion. It hadn't manifested where people would see it, but I knew it was a struggle. When God got rid of that in my life, I mean, it gave me such confidence and boldness that any place else that I step, he would surely transform me. When you don't allow God to invade every part of you, when you still have these secret struggles, when you still have these places in your life that you're thinking, well, that's no big deal. That's just kind of how I am. And, you know, that's not part of what God can deliver me from. It doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's being offended. Maybe it's worrying. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's whatever it is. Have you, if you give it to God and let him take it from you, he will so change you into something you've never seen before that you'll just be like, if God can do this, if God can deliver me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will surely help me against this Philistine that defies God. Some of you are on the precipice of where God wants to take you, but you have got to give God those, those things that the lions and the bears that are coming against you, you've got to allow God to purge that out of your life, to consecrate you, Part of that consecration is the defender that we, saw, that we sang about. He defends you. He goes before you, but only if you let him bring you back the head of your enemy. Because you have to, with your will, say, Lord, I lay it down. If it is still in our grasp, he doesn't have access to it because he will not usurp our will. When we lay it out before him, when we lay out our life, there are things you may find, and I pray God reveals this to you. There may be things you don't even want to pray about. Because you'd rather just be so sure that this is what God wants or doesn't want. Or so sure that this isn't what God's trying to tell you. So why pray about it? Because I'm just sure that he's not. Have you asked him? Have you said, God, search me. Try me. See if there's something in me that's not of you. I know we get a little tripped up by those Psalm 139, 23, and 24 verses. When we hear the word wicked, we think, oh, well, you know, yeah, I dealt with all the wicked stuff. Mm. We need to go back to the holiness of God. Anything apart from God, anything of our sinful flesh is ugly and wicked and needs to go. And God wants it to go. And I'm talking in the sanctification. I'm not talking about our justification that's paid for by the blood. I'm talking about in the sanctification. Sometimes it's very, very important to recognize the the power of our sinful flesh and the justification. Because if we don't, if we begin to justify it, we're heading into a, a lukewarm area that's extremely dangerous and deadening to our life with Christ. 
Like, oh man, let him transform you. Because there's nothing more exciting than allowing God to reveal. And he will, by the way, he, he will not put us forth into a public place. Just like with, with David. There's no way David, God was going to lead him into a fight that he knew he couldn't win. But all the time that David was shepherd, remember, he had already been anointed. He'd already been anointed. He didn't just start having a wow time with God as king the second that he got, you know, anointed by the prophet Samuel. He he had to be, he had to go through some training, and that's what we've been going through, training. So I wonder how many times he may before before he let God really take over. Maybe he did encounter a lion or a bear that he kind of ran from, and God had to say, no, 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 get back there. Let me show you. Let me show you in your private life. Nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. It's just you and the sheep. Are you going to choose me? Are you going to let me show you that I can transform you? I can, I can make you a warrior here. You think that you're going to be a warrior when you meet Goliath. That's not when you become a warrior. You become a warrior in the secret place. When you are dealing with your own private battles and you're saying, God, take them over. They are yours. They are yours. I lay it down. And that, that is what will give you the confidence and the boldness to when you face the next thing that's around the corner, and many of us are. We are about to face something. We are about to enter a battle that will require prayer and fasting. Um, and I can't unpack that, except that I can tell you that's a true statement. Um, that will be unpacked according to the Lord and his um, reveal. But that ought, that ought to only excite you because God is, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, like, we're to walk in victory. He that is born of God, 1 John 5:4, so important. He that is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Faith. Even our faith. Believing that we are overcomers. We are called to be overcomers. We, we should be nothing but overcomers. Because if God is at our right hand, we're never moved. So I pray today that you are abiding and that your focus is Jesus Christ. His voice, his relationship with you, because that is the key to freedom. He, he wants us to live abundantly, abundantly. Satan's John 10.10, 10, please, please know it. He is a thief. He is a thief. He comes only, as we've said many times, and, and, and I say it, I'll say it again. He comes but for two on the King James Version to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come to give life, to give life and to give it more abundantly. And, and, and what he's put under your feet because of Jesus is incredible. It's incredible. So don't let your faith get rocked and your freedom get stolen because your focus is in the wrong place. Look unto him. He is the author, the writer, the author and finisher of your faith. He is everything. Don't write out your life apart from him. Don't try to author your own life. He wants to author it. And every day when you wake up and you hear his voice, he'll tell you another chapter. He'll tell you another section that's so exciting. You didn't know the story was going to go that way. You didn't know the beautiful plans that he has for us. It is awesome. And when we hold back and when we try to grasp that control, we're not trusting the author of our life. We're not trusting the one that holds us. He is going to call you beyond yourself so that he can show you his love for you. He, he literally is limited in how his love manifests when you are always within your comfort zone and not in that place of faith. That place of faith, while scary to our flesh, is the most beautiful manifestation of his love than you could ever experience. When you are so far out on a limb, when you are seeing God do something that makes no sense, that's so supernaturally awesome, that is a gift of his love. So we gotta get we gotta get our thinking right, we gotta get our focus right. And and the enemy wants your focus. He wants it through your phones, through your iPads. He he wants to have a constant stream of messaging to get your focus even a little bit off track, even a little bit. 
And that's why knowing the voice of God, you'll immediately be able to discern, okay, no, 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 no. No, that's, that's not you. That's not you, God. That's not you, God, because I know whom I have believed. I know. And, and if I get confused, I know that you will bring me back. And I trust you enough to know that my heart seeks you. You will put me back on the path that I need. Because I love you. I trust you. I give you my life. It doesn't mean that we have to strive and always know discernment in our flesh. We can't possibly. But God knows our heart. He keeps our heart. That is why I love that song, Defender. He will defend our heart. He will vindicate what tries to come against us. We've got to lay it down. Father God, thank you, God, so much. Thank you, God, for who you are. Oh, Lord, we just... We wait for your, the full manifestation of your fullness to drop from your kingdom realm and just land in this realm. God, I thank you that we get to have these encounters with you as we seek your face right now. God, that you don't withhold yourself when we seek you. You said in Jeremiah that, that we will... If we seek you and search for you with all of our heart, you'll be found. I praise you, God, for that. Jeremiah 29, 13. Oh, God, I thank you for that. Thank you, God, that you are knocking at the door of our heart, that you want greater fellowship. You want us to just know you and fellowship with you and be guided by you, that, that our breath is your breath, that our heartbeat is your heartbeat, God, that, that everything that, that is navigated here is, is with your hand. Oh, what a, what a peaceful place to live. How, what, a, what a great way to just take your yoke upon us because your burden is easy and it is light. You give us rest when we come unto you because we are laboring and heavy laden of the things of this world, God. I just pray that you just lift us to rise above God. You've given us assignments here. Let us see with our spirit eyes the assignment that you've given. Let us not just look at it with our, the myopic lens of just how things affect us, God, but what you've called us to that is great and mighty. Because as we call on you, you said you'll do great and mighty things, which we know not. We don't know. But they are your things, God. So as we cling to you, God, you'll take us places in your spirit that we could never even imagine. And it won't even matter because we're just with you, God. We just want you and nothing else. You are the prize, not the calling, not the place we're going, not even the blessings. Thank you for that song by Cody Barnes. I'm not here for blessing. Forgive me when I've come with my own agenda. Forgive me when I've focused so much on my burdens that I've not just seen that fixing my eyes on you is the answer to my burdens. You can literally change my spirit into a lightness and a peace before anything is circumstantially changed. Because you are God, and we are not, Lord. I praise you, God. Thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are. Take us to that place, God. Bring us those rich encounters with you, God. But give us a purity in our heart that as we come to you for the encounter, that we're not even coming for the encounter as much as for you alone and then trusting you with whatever you want to entrust us with in the way of encounter. God, that is a hard place for our flesh to get to. So I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that your mercy is everlasting, God. As you said recently, and is in your word, and your truth endures to all generations. Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful word. God, I just love you this morning. I thank you, God. We hunger, we thirst for revival. I just, I just praise you and I pray that you would move and work in hearts. Touch the people online. Touch 
for a continual, perpetual listening of the podcast or seeing this Facebook, Holy Spirit, I ask you to just flood the minds and the hearts of anyone listening to your word this morning, God, that needs, needs to have a takeover of your spirit. What have we got to lose but only our dirty, nasty flesh? Oh, God, you are God. You are holy. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We lift up the name of Jesus Christ above all names this morning. In your mighty name, amen. Jeff, I'm going to have you.